All right, welcome to our first podcast. This we is exciting. Are, yes, it is. We are called Three Friends in a Book, and we are just three friends. I'm Holly. That's Janine. Say hello. I'm Caroline. <laughs> hey, Janine. Hey, hey Janine. I'm Janine. And we're all teachers, and we are friends who just like to read good mm-hmm. literature and, and have conversations about it. And so we decided to start a podcast to do so. Um, and not always good literature. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes just a book. Sometimes it could be just a book. Um, but one of the things that we think about in our teaching um, is the quote, a quote from Hannah Arendt that says, the things of the world become human for us only when we can discuss them with our fellows. We humanize what is going on in the world and in ourselves by speaking of it. And in the course of speaking of it, we learn to be human. So we like to read and then we like to speak about it. Have conversations. And even though we use that quote in our classes sometimes... We just want to be clear that this podcast is really just for fun. It has nothing to do with school curriculum. It's just us talking. It's just three friends randomly, in a book. and we are by no means experts. Nope, absolutely. Well, Janine might be. Yeah, but no, no. we are not experts. <laughs> you guys can decide as we go yeah. on who's the expert and who's not. It remains to be seen. All right. So our first book that we are doing is a book by Jody Picoult called "Small Great Things." And the title of the book comes from a Martin Luther King quote that says, If I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. So, Caroline, why don't you tell us a little bit about this book? Well, here is um, just a brief, very brief summary of the plot. A woman and her husband. Well, hold on. First oh, of all, sorry. Oops. What did you just spoiler say? I wasn't paying spoiler attention. Spoiler alert. I feel oh. like we should. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't read this book, stop now. I don't think it gives away too much, but. Well, we're going to talk about quite you know, a few things. Oh, right. So I right, think before right, you listen right, right. to any of our podcasts, you should probably. Just stop right now and read the book real quick. <laughs> or you could listen for a little bit longer and we can mm. put in a spoiler note a little bit later so you can see if maybe it's a book you want to read. Okay. After the summary. And then. That's a good idea. And then we'll let you know when you should stop listening to us and then come back to us later this is our first go around we'll figure it out okay all right go all ahead. right that's good so a woman and her husband are admitted to a hospital to have a baby and they request that their nurse be reassigned they are white supremacists and they don't want ruth who's black to touch their baby the hospital complies but the baby later goes into cardiac distress when ruth is on duty she hesitates before rushing in to perform cpr When her indecision ends in tragedy, Ruth finds herself on trial, represented by a white public defender who warns against bringing race into a courtroom. As the two come to develop a truer understanding of each other's lives, they begin to doubt the beliefs they each hold most dear. Okay. That is, I mean, that's the the general gist of it. Did you write that? No. No. I did not write that. That's from, that's Goodreads. Okay. Yeah, maybe we should credit that. <laughs> no, that I wasn't. That's not why I was doing that. I was just curious about. Um, I, I think it's questionable that when her indecision leads to tragedy. Yeah. Um, but that's good getting point. in. So that, that yeah, we'll talk about that. I thought the same thing when I read it. So that is a good point. Um. So why did the author write this book? Jody Picoult. Well, um, you know, you guys know a lot about this too, but I guess the the story goes that really early in her writing career, she she wanted to write a book about racism, specifically in the United States. And there was a there was a real life event in New York City where a black undercover police officer officer was shot in the back by white colleagues, in spite of the fact that the undercover cop had been wearing 
the, the color of the day and a wristband. An wristband. He was um, he was shot. Um, many people believe because of his color and wh- where he was working undercover, and so that inspired her to start writing. But she she started and just kind of floundered. She felt like she couldn't do the topic justice because um, she didn't know what it was like to grow up black in this country, and so she felt like she was having trouble. Um, writing a true character so she just kind of stopped and it was like 20 years later or something she um read a news story about an african-american nurse in michigan um that worked in labor and delivery and the same kind of thing A, a baby's dad requested that the nurse not touch his infant i think it didn't have the same kind of no he um like in in the book turk when she first meets them lifts up his sleeve and you can see the swats because you can see all the white nationalist stuff tattooed on his body that that happened in flint michigan and they actually put like in the book put a sticky note on the butt on the baby's chart that said no african-americans should touch this kid mm-hmm. um and so it, that story didn't end in tragedy but it ended with the nurse suing the hospital um i don't know what the outcome exactly was of that but in the book so jody picot wanted to take it a step further of what would have happened if she abided by this note by this white nationalist request and it ended in tragedy and so that's what spurred her own on to to come back to it i guess that's right yeah she it had been sitting waiting i think and she said that she knew she wanted to write it from the point of view of a black nurse and a skinhead father and a public defender and that she knew she set out to make the public defender a lot like herself she said she the public defender would be a woman who was a well-intentioned white lady who would never consider herself a racist but who had to um, face some of her um, some of those ingrained prejudices that she didn't know were there Um, and so then she did tons and tons and tons of research this book has a lot of sources she talked to um skinheads she interviewed a bunch of white nationalists she talked to all kind all kind of african-american writers and really did her work i mean it's a pretty i don't know if jody picot's books normally have a bibliography like this but she uh read quite a bit and did quite a bit of research in order to really understand the white nationalist character and to understand ruth yeah ruth's character that's kind of an interesting thing that you said there um we don't know a lot about Jody Picoult's books because we're not big fans of Jody Picoult. Um, the three of us, generally, um, and that, so I think it's super interesting that we're starting this podcast with a book by her. And um, I never would have thought no, I would. In fact, I picked this book up very reluctantly, and I thought maybe you had changed into a different person when you, <laughs> yeah, su- what, it was you suggested right? it. it was. It was yeah. you, and then uh-huh. I read it, and then Janine, yeah, uh huh, yeah. And I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe I, I started reading it and it was, I don't know, it spoke to me. Yeah, I well, think because I'm a white woman who doesn't consider myself prejudiced. Yeah. In, in many ways, it speaks to me. Um, and especially in what we, just the, just the political scene, the environment that we've been in the past couple of years, it's so, a lot of the conversations that are had in the, that are, have, are being done in whatever in the book are very relevant. And so I was probably, I don't know, less than 100 pages into it. And I'm like, what is, what, where is she getting this? And I actually flipped to the back of the book and saw this massive list of sources. Um, and I was like, oh, she really did her work. So I, me not knowing anything about it. So she did 
She says she met with two former skinheads to develop a vocabulary of hate for her white supremacist character. Mm-hmm. Hey, Holly, where's the title come from? Did we say the title? We did. We did. Where's it come from? I said it. Do you remember? Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, I wasn't paying attention, I guess. <laughs> I was eating, I was finishing my last peanut butter cracker. <laughs> from Martin Luther King. Sorry. <laughs> if I cannot do great things, I can do small things I in a great that. way. Yeah, I said Sorry, that. fans. <laughs> fans it's probably just one fan it's probably just Josie right now yeah hey Josie, <laughs> Josie. friend of the pod Josie Campbell <laughs> yes we might have not I don't know if they have that have that have that copyrighted what do y'all want to talk about first pod Save America let's talk about something first I don't think they I don't think you can copyright that you can't okay. well I don't want to talk about that t-shirts okay all right um so what do you want to talk about first Janine, what did you find fascinating about the book, Janine? Um, one of the things that really spoke to me in the book, uh, and she mentions it in her acknowledgments towards the end, is Ruth's relationship with her son and how she has to speak to him about race. And um, I, it was there was a really moving part where she talks about um, color not being the absence of something but the addition of something mm-hmm. and she thanks someone in the acknowledgments I can't remember who right now but she thanks someone in the acknowledgments for giving her that language um, to to give to Ruth to give to her son and and I think it's really interesting when I think about raising my own children what I don't have to do what I don't have to tell them yeah. um, and I know mm-hmm. that that that's not just that there are people who have to um, have much different conversations than I have to have. But on the flip side of that, it does make me very aware as a white lady trying to read this book and become better informed of the conversations I do have to have with my kids um, to help them avoid getting the, the ingrained prejudices. If that's possible, I'd love to be able to go back to when my kids just for the most part they still don't but as you get older you know they the ingrained prejudices just start happening Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and um you know it's it's kind of like when kids it 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 happened actually last weekend my son referred to someone as as the brown boy but he he was just referring to him the color that he saw there was there was no extra baggage in that that in yeah. that label and uh um I, I think there's some sort of beauty in that and i wish we could encapsulate it okay where are you gonna go from there <laughs> well that just reminded me of i mean that um the conversations then for for us with our kids with our white kids do have to be so different there's there's a part in the book where um, Ruth talks about racism not just being about hate; that it's that racism is about power, mm-hmm. and yeah. and who has access to it. And then her son asks her if racism she thinks racism will ever go away, and she says no because that means white people would have to buy into being equal. Yeah, who would choose to dismantle the system that makes them special? That makes them yeah. so special. And um, that really spoke to me just in terms of, you know, the, the whole idea of even if you don't consider yourself racist, if you're white, you know, you benefit from white privilege. 
um, and all those, all the ingrained prejudice then that goes along with that, you are a part of it. Um, How to talk to my kids about that without making them feel bad, Mm -hmm. you know, for who they are and the legacy they've been born into and have no control over as well. It's tricky as a parent to figure out how to present them present that to them in a way you know on on the one hand i think there was a movement for a while where we would try to teach our kids to be colorblind Mm -hmm. like that was the thing this book really opened my eyes to um in ways that they hadn't been i think to um how detrimental that really is how you know that the whole like um then you're just overlooking then you're just erasing then you're just subtracting not adding to go back to what you were saying yeah and i think that maybe that's why she was able to come back now and write this book because i think a lot of people would think we're sort of in a post-racial society or or claim that we Mm -hmm. are now that we've had an african-american president and um while on the one hand it does seem like things should be better i i we're not. I don't think we no, are. I, either. I mean, I think we're not. Because I think for just from a historical standpoint, and I, I often think about this, is I think people often think with 1968, the Civil Rights Movement, where the 14th Amendment, we have the Civil Rights Act, we have the Voting Rights Act, like all these things changed. So I think people often think just because legally people are equal doesn't mean that that, that they necessarily are. And that when we, even though it is 2017, we have people in America walking around who who lived that as kids, who felt the hatred, who felt the segregation, who were probably screamed at with really you know just nasty names and you know just dehumanized, and they still they lived it. And just because they're walking around and they can vote and they can you know eat at a restaurant that everybody else can or, or or whatever, doesn't mean that racism stopped. Because the people who were in the 1960s and even in the 1970s, the white people, they stu- they were there. And they, just because the law changed doesn't mean that their hatred stopped. Um, and I think it's going to take generations, like j- j- long, a long time for that even to be something that maybe we could say we're past think just because we've had a you know the legality of it and a black president doesn't mean that the racial issue is it's over it's far from over did you i was looking on goodreads at some of the comments i know you were too holly and did you see that um one of the readers who had made a comment where she just she kind of didn't know she's an an, um, Mm -hmm. woman of color and she didn't know how she felt about the character of ruth and apparently she and jody picole had an exchange on on the night of the election Mm -hmm. via twitter Mm -hmm. Trump made help me with this. Do you remember? Trump made a comment um, about um, about um, the fact that he was going to try to help all black people who lived in the slums that were the equivalent of hell. That that was one of his that that was one of his goals. And Jody Picole tweeted something like, "Not all black people." live in the slums hashtag obama or something like that right and this particular woman um was offended by that comment um and you know asked the question do you know so are the obamas the only black people jody picolt knows Mm. um lots of other black people don't live in 
slums and hell also and plenty of white people also live in those conditions um and i I just thought that was really really interesting um you know the the go-to well we've had a black president Mm -hmm. so black people must be fine right they're doing fine (laughs) right yeah yeah that's what it was there was a um a debate. It was a, oh, it was at a, a, a presidential debate where a, a black man from the audience asked a question that had literally nothing to do with race, but um, Trump made it about race, saying that he would improve the inner cities for black people that were, quote, as you said, living in hell there. And Picoult said, Dear Donald Trump, I'd like to introduce you to a successful African-American family that isn't living in their city, and it's the Obamas. Um, <laughs> and, the, uh, and the girl on Twitter said, There are actually many more of us, but thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that whole one thing that does come up time and time again in the book and, and in the comments about the book is that oftentimes people of color, when they speak, um, they feel like the people who are watching them or listening to them speak are hearing them speak for a whole people, mm-hmm. for a whole group of people. Whereas, you know, as a white person, when I speak, I'm not speaking for all white people. And um, I find that really interesting and, and an, impor- an important something. I'm not quite sure what to say about it, but that, you know, the, the lumping together of um, how offensive that can yeah. be to people of color, mm-hmm. um, I think is an example. Um, that little Twitter comment is yeah. an example yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's might be one of the, I don't know, sub themes taking place in the book yeah yeah maybe somewhere um well i think it's even a it's a i think it's a theme in the 20th century in american history um if you guys did you guys ever watch that documentary on netflix the 13th i did not and they talked about how after the civil war and even with the movie birth of a nation how the media and even with cops in the 1980s was cops in the 1980s the tv show cops I think so. Like, like really just kind 80s. of like characterizing yeah, all black that. people as monsters um, and lumping them all together as these really terrible people and how that has perpetuated like the media's portrayal, movies portrayal, um, and then cops of this, this characterizes black people and how that's not right mm-hmm. um, and how that doesn't happen to, to white people. Because look at Turk. What if we were lumped in with him, y'all? Yeah, that's true. That's nice segue. You good? Oh. Great segue. <laughs> well well Thanks, done, man. <laughs> that was that was fantastic. Um, but yeah. he's terrible. I want to talk about him. Let's talk about him. Um, one thing that I thought was fascinating. I mean, yes, about him, but part of the book that I thought was fascinating, just with the recent history of what we would call the alt right movement, and the man um, Richard Spencer. You guys, remember who he is? They talked about how the in the last year like glamorizing the alt-right, like mm. the LA Times of that photo shoot and how your your white nationalists don't look like your typical white nationalists anymore. Right. And how Turk's father-in-law, what is his name, Francis? Spoiler alert now, if you haven't already <laughs> turned this off, you should probably go ahead and turn it off now. Francis, okay. is that his name? Yes. He, turn it off. Um, you know, the older KKK would tattooed up skinheads like you could point out a skinhead you could point out a white nationalist you could look at the tattoos and how the movement over the 1990s and even to this day is they cover that stuff up yeah they had to go underground they had to go underground and it went online like they started instead of having these massive meetings out in the open and parades and rallies and what have you they started these really 
just white and super white nationalist um, communities online and that's how they quietly grew the movement um and so he covers they cover all that stuff up so that it's not out in the open um anymore and i thought that was whole fascinating how that has how the alt-right movement i mean basically still is the kkk um right sure and and others essentially yeah um and how they how they had to transform themselves. Yeah, and um, places where I've lived, the KKK has still been very active. And they um, well, look at David Duke; he was all over social media um, last year. Yeah, I mean they they saw the, see themselves or saw themselves. I don't know which is right um, as a helper organization too. Like they would raise funds for our school, things like that. It's not to say that, well, let's talk more about the plot. Let's go back to the Well, I just thought, like, I found, so the the book is set up as kind of every other chapter is narrated by one of these three characters, the African-American nurse, the um, white Jewish attorney, and the... Is she Jewish? I don't know. I just said that. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I I doubted myself. I don't know. Um, and then um, I don't remember that being like a I don't know why I I thought that Um, and then um, and then Turk the um, the white supremacist and when I started the book and I read a couple of his chapters I almost put it down and stopped reading it it was very very difficult for me to read um, because it because of all the hate I mean it just made me uncomfortable and, you know, so I wasn't sure I wanted to keep going, but I did, and I'm really glad I did. It was really helpful to me to understand him, um, you know, and all of the white supremacists, supremacists that he was around. Like, it helped me to understand his childhood and how he was targeted into the movement because of his childhood. He was vulnerable he was looking for somewhere to fit in and looking for people to take care of him. And so, and, and that's what those groups often do. They recruit kids who are marginalized, who are weak, you know, who, who are looking for some kind of security and support mm-hmm. um, and bring them in and, and offer them um, and offer them a community mm-hmm. when they don't have one. And that's a common theme that we've seen. I mean, that's even a common theme with ISIS uh-huh. r- right now is picking on vulnerable, outcasted um, Muslim kids in America, in Denmark, in Sweden, wherever, and trying to recruit them to have a family, to have a community. It's really, it's just really helpful for me to, to un, at least just try to understand better, like how, you know, how can someone be so hateful? What is it about that human that makes him capable of such hate? And to connect it back to, you know, deep emotional wounds, psychological wounds. Re- complete rejection. Like that is really helpful. Mm-hmm. I found it. You had you were saying lots of interesting things too, Caroline, about Turk's relationship with Brittany and what he was looking for in her and how she manipulated him. Um, Is that I, right? Was it manipulated? Yeah, it, well, that's how it felt to me. I was waiting, so you have to wait till the very end of the book to get her to get all of her information. Mm-hmm. As you guys know, like I was really wanting to know and to better understand her. It seemed to me like Turk always had this softer side there were a couple times where he contemplated wanting to leave the movement Mm -hmm. um there were a couple times where he 
where and and it's been long enough since we've read this that some of the details are foggy but i feel like there were lots of moments where i thought he was softer yeah well like when he's in prison and he 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 avoids the white supremacists right he and makes um like goes to a does it does he go to a bible study yes with a hispanic gang right yeah yeah and so um so yeah i think there are certain times in the book where he does seem softer just so and he's he really loves his wife i mean like and is very romantic yeah. and you know and so very protective I, of her i just kept wondering like that clearly that was in him and the there are many scenes where she he's in he's in that kind of place and she will fuel him back to a place oh, of yeah. hatred she rouses what up. she says and what she does and the way she i felt like it was emotional manipulation because it was very much like if you love me you'll go beat this guy up or Mm -hmm. if you you know and um i found that really fascinating that um she was clearly um smart enough to know and ultimately um damaged Mm -hmm. herself but smart enough to know how to manipulate him that way and and control him i found that fascinating what i think that's one kind almost a criticism i have of the book whereas we get to see turk so well and we understand and and, you know i know you can't evolve every character but her background seems so um manufactured yes and um yeah i feel like the ending of the book like that how that tied up in the end was a little a little rushed and a little too a little too tidy so do we want to do a spoiler, another spoiler alert here about her? Uh, I think it's all at this point. Yeah. We're talking about the end, y'all. Um, Josie. That in, the end. <laughs> that, that in the end, it turns out she, her father had a relationship with an African-American woman and her mom is, is black. Um, and that revelation in the end and how things just wrapped up. Well, she commits suicide, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so did you guys think, Throughout the book, that she that that was her that that she was half black. I didn't, I, I didn't see that coming. At I all. didn't see it coming really until um, the lawyer calls the I'm, I'm gonna forget his name, but the African American kind of social activist guy who's helping her mm-hmm. at the very end, and you knew she called him to do something yeah. extreme, mm-hmm. and so I didn't really guess it, but that you know, I, f- I figured something like that was coming. Um, I, just, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know. I just didn't see that coming. At so, all. so y'all, she knew, right? Britt knew that her mom was black. Did she? I think we we all we weren't sure about it the mm-hmm. first time we were talking about it because I felt like the way that final scene played out in the courtroom, it was like she knew, but it had been buried. Okay. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. we. Sh- I probably should have gone back and read it. Yeah, I'm preparation, to- but. I didn't remember at what point in her life, like how young she was when her, um, when her parents split up. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember. But was, your, was her mom ever? Wait, her mom. Her mom doesn't. It's yeah, not. No. It's only mentioned. Was Francis married? And they got divorced. I thought that he just told. I could be wrong. Again, it's been a while. That he just told her. Um, that he just told her, your mom just bailed out on us, and she's never been around. And well, and wasn't it? And she went and took up with a black man. 
is what we're yes. told early on in the book yeah. and without is, ever refer letting us know that he that she too was black yeah so that's what for me that's what I, why i thought um francis and Britt were so hated um black people so much was because they had this really personal wound mm-hmm. sort of oh, like because it, turk's brother was um killed in a car accident by a man like a was it an African-American yeah. man driving the car? Mm-hmm. So they both have that. And that's where they project, like, the whole race onto one person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's what – I guess that's what makes me think that maybe she knew, like, deep deep down or it was super buried. But that's what was fueling her specifically. Because I needed to understand why she was full of so much hate. Like, yeah. she mm-hmm. – um, and so – if she somehow knew or had maybe just kind of like subconsciously become aware over the years, that makes sense. It, it helps me understand her hatred. Yeah. She felt betrayed by a mom who left her mm-hmm. um, for a black man. For a black man, And yeah. so, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, in many ways, I think she is the more interesting character than Turk. And I... Um, so I guess back to that's just going back to my criticism though of of her of when it comes to these topics no one is fully bad or fully good you know she loved her baby and but we get that arc with Turk we understand where he comes from and he goes through changes and she really doesn't the only mm-hmm. thing she's just there to make him worse and then she just has to kill herself because she can't live in this world uh-huh. this changing world and so um but i think the book is best when it's showing the dynamic aspect of our humanity that you can't say someone is a good person or a bad person and be 100 percent correct and maybe you know she is turk has to experience the tragedy not only of his lost son but then his lost wife to make the massive change that he makes by the end of the book so she she serves that function for him too i think he has to experience that loss Mm -hmm. it's you know, I agree with you 100%. I want more. I want to know more about her. But um, without her death, um, I don't know if Turk would have changed, which I really didn't care for the ending. I thought it was very, my personal opinion was she knew it was going to be a movie. And the ending feels very movie. Like it feels very blockbuster movie, happy ending. And I did not care for it. I hear what you're saying, Janine, and I, I I agree with I agree with you too. But is that easy for us to say? Which part? Like that we can. I don't know. Are you, are you trying to say maybe that we have empathy for somebody like Turk and understanding his damage and where he came from? Yes. Um, is that is that easy for us for me for so p- white people like me and you to say? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I went on the on Goodreads last night and specifically looked at a few African-American reviewers of the book who I think would have a really hard time having empathy for somebody like him. Somebody who, you know, hates or people like him. Maybe, you know, you know, Turk is a character, yes. But just the movement of the KKK, the alt-right of just this hatred of, of a community of people and 
should they have yes as humans yes we should all have empathy but do you know what i'm trying to say i do i do and so yeah i think that that it's always good to think about it through that lens but um i am who i am reading this yeah, book that i, know, I feel yeah. like was honestly written for in many ways people for like me, people yes. like me. Yes. um not not to say that it's not written for other people too but i think jody picolt knows her audience yes, i think so too and she wrote this like for us to look at Kennedy as Kennedy was her, the lawyer was her, and to as Kennedy was confronting her own racism, where she would say at the beginning of the book, "I'm not racist, I don't see color," but as getting to know Ruth and her son and Turk, really acknowledging that yeah, she she was. So yes, well, it's really helpful to because you know our gut. So we're white. Jody Picoult says. She, she did in part write this book for us so that we would have these conversations. Mm-hmm. But I think, so my go-to response, of course, is, okay, our our goal as humans is to try to understand other humans. Yeah. And so can I, now, because I'm white and and so I'm, I'm privileged enough to be able to stand back, you know, and, and say... And, having not had those kinds that kind of hate projected onto me perpetrated yeah. against me mm-hmm. like god okay so but my go to is always um you know even the people on whom the hate is projected is it their goal as humans to try to understand and and but but is it yes. is it only because I'm white that I can say that I don't know I really don't yeah. like I get into a really weird black hole conundrum yeah. with that but I think like okay if I am let's say um, I have had some kind of hate perpetrated against me um, but it, it has nothing to do with skin color but something to do with whatever else could be anything yeah. um. Is it still my job to try to understand and be empathetic toward the person who is being hateful toward me as just because they are part of the human race and I am part of the human race? Like, I mean, y- yes. The answer is I yes. don't mean to be too like heady about it, but I. The answer is yes, but it's easier for us to say yes. But in that situation, it's hard, but I also think that we do a disservice to to progress when we make someone a monster or or yeah. or, or label a problem as coming from this easy thing to solve. So if we can just stop white supremacy, then racism goes away. Right. It's, it's not true. That's you know? very well said. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, I mean. So it's helpful to me. It's it's just helpful to read a story that forces me to be empathetic toward a character I hate. Yeah, like Which that's is, just good. Yes. That's just a good exercise in being human. Yes, mm-hmm. I like. That's one of the things I ended up yeah. really appreciating about the book. Yeah, it's very. It's a very uncomfortable place. Yeah, it is, and it's good to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you end up having empathy. So for me, I also end up having empathy for Ruth and other people of color. Yeah. who hate white supremacists so much. Yeah. Like it, 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 it furthered my understanding of their inability or difficulty to have empathy. Yeah. Like, and all of that is good for me. Like, yes. There were times, too, in the book when I was frustrated with some of Ruth's decisions, and 
it's, I think, maybe built that way so that we're frustrated with Ruth. We're not frustrated with black people's decisions. We're frustrated with Ruth, the character's decisions. Yeah. Or, or question them, at least. Maybe not, maybe not everyone was frustrated by them. But I, I felt like some of it was intentionally complicated. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Which is good. Which is the whole point of reading and having conversations, right? Is to, you know, I think that's the thing that when we look at our society, we have to do is have have difficult conversations and to try to have empathy and to talk to people who are different from us so that we can learn and and be and be better humans. I think that's probably a good place for so, us to yeah. kind of wrap it up. We're at 36 minutes and all right. Oh, goodness. If you've listened this long, bless you. Bless you. (laughs) All right. So where are we going next time? We are going to be reading a book called Empire Falls by Richard Russo. So if you want to read along with us, stay stay with us on this journey, Three Friends in a Book. That is where we're going next, Empire Falls by Richard Russo. And as is typical, Holly's about done. I've started and stalled. And I don't even have the book yet. Okay. (laughs) But don't you worry. It will happen. It will. It will. We'll get it done, y'all. We'll get it figured out. So stay tuned.